Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. Author Linwood Batts is joining me right here now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Linwood, thank you for being here with me tonight. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you on the show, and I just wanted to say congratulations. You have a new book out titled Lion Leadership Mentality. So, Linwood, what are readers in store for with this? Well, they're, they're in store to explore a bit more about passion, purpose, and vision. I'm taking the lion attitude and adding biblical principles along with industry standard leadership quality so that the reader can have all three perspectives as they're reading the material. Hmm. Were you writing for church leadership primarily? Well, it is, uh, yes, church leadership too. But what I found in doing some leadership conferences in most recently, there are also some teams that really get excited about passion, purpose, and vision, mm. but also leaders in corporate America that are Christians that are leading you know, people in that work environment. So I'm finding that there's a little bit of everybody that it touches. Linwood, what lit the fire for you about this? What gave you the idea to write the book and then you have to sit down and get started on it? Well, you know, I, you know, as I'm also a pastor, so that means that I write anyway. But one of my uh, inspirations is my daughter. She's my first editor. She reads everything that I write. So, <laughs> you know, she goes, Dad, just go on and write, because you write the, such that people will understand it. And it's simple enough so that even the youngest child can, can grab it. But that was kind of my inspiration. You know, my, my wife and kids support me with that as well. So it, it makes it a little bit easier when you enjoy writing. Hmm. Is this your first time then venturing into the realm of publishing? No, actually, this is my second book. Hmm. I wrote another one, oh, back in 08, I believe it was, just a little short book that is now out of production. But uh, that was my first one. This is my second one. Does this whole thing take you a long time to do, both the writing and then all that publishing process? Well, the writing, yes, because it's the detail of me writing it and think it's right, and my daughter reading it, and she says it's right. And when you get to the publisher, then they got to look at it, and they have to read it as well. <laughs> so it, could, it probably took me a year to put it together, and then another six months to go through the publishing. So, you know, it's, it's, it's about a good year and a half to finish a project, uh, you know, or longer, right? Depends on how long you're writing. Yeah, a lot of time and work goes into this kind of thing. So what was it like when you finally got that first physical copy and you got to hold this thing in your hands? <laughs> well, that that was like, you know, that was awesome, you know, mm. to get the book in my hand, which says there was a finished work. And, you know, it's like I said, well, the Lord, the Lord finished what he started, if you would. So it's just like really exciting to get that in my hand. And then, you know, even more is when somebody else has read it and they go, hey, I've read it twice, oh, man, because wow. I wanted to make sure I got everything. So. It just makes my eyes light up, my heart warm from the joy of it. Do you think we'll see more from you in the future when it comes to writing and publishing? Yes, absolutely. I'm already thinking about the next book that's going to be a sequel to this one. Hmm. You know, so I'm starting to do some research and grab some information about how I want to pull that one together. It's going to be a little bit different, I think, but it's, it's, it's going to kick off from the lion mentality and just grow from there. Linwood, there are a lot of aspiring authors listening to us right now. What's your best advice you could give them? 
what I would tell them, because I had had an, uh, someone ask me that recently, you know, how do you get started? I said, really, just start writing, right? Just get it out of your head and get it on paper and just let it flow. And, you know, don't worry about the organization yet, but the more you write, all of that's going to come together with the outline. So that's my message. Just start writing. Just let it flow and, and have fun doing it. Hmm. What did you find the most challenging part of the publishing process once you got done writing it, but now there's a lot more work to be done? Well, I think that was, you know, I had to reread. How many times have I read my own book, right? <laughs> I thought I knew it. <laughs> Yeah, you know, so I had to read it again and edit it, then send it back, and then they, they I had to read it because they had changes, so I had to read again. And I think that was it. It's like that third time is like I've read it three times already. Do I want to read it again? <laughs> but I have to read because I could have missed something as well. So it's that constant reading and understanding and going back and forth to the publisher, which they do tell you. They say we're going to go back and forth many times because we want to get it right. And I agree with that. I'd really appreciate them for doing that. I know readers will be blessed by this book and should definitely check it out. The title is Lion Leadership Mentality. It's written by Linwood Batts and is published by Christian Faith Publishing. Of course, you can find it everywhere, like at Amazon or at Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Linwood, thanks again for coming on the show and chatting with me all about your book. I had a nice time talking. You're welcome. Thank you so very much. Enjoyed chatting with you as well. I'm joined right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable by author Carol Williams. Carol, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here with me. Thank you, Cord. It's my pleasure and honor. It's my pleasure and honor to be talking with you today. I just wanted to congratulate you first off. You got a new book out in stores called Just in Time for Christmas. So, Carol, can you tell me what this one's all about? Well, Just in Time for Christmas is a story about loss and despair. And then new beginnings with God's help and friends. Hmm. What sorts of readers were you writing for, Carol? Family and friends and anyone that likes a good Christmas story and uh, has faith that God will help us in these times. Hmm. Can you go back and tell me about whenever you got the idea for this and wanted to sit down and start writing this story? Actually, it was from a dream, Corey. Huh. I had been watching a lot of Christmas stories, and one night, went to bed, went to sleep, and the dream was so vivid, I knew that I had to put pen to paper, and that's what I did, and it took me approximately two weeks to write the story, and I wrote it originally as a screenplay. Oh, wow. So, we'll see what God's got planned for that, but he led me to having the book published, and I just follow his lead. Fantastic. Was that publishing process then a long one for you? No, not really. Covenant books have been great. They've been true to every word that they've spoken. It's taken about six months to get it to print. As I said, it was written as a screenplay, so in book form, it is a short story. Hmm. Now, Carol, when it comes to writing and publishing, is this something new to you? Yes. So I'm sure you learned an awful lot along the way. Do you have any advice that you could give to people listening right now who are authors just starting out like you? I guess my best advice is to pray about it, of course. Mm -hmm. But put your ideas pen to paper, as I said earlier, and don't be afraid of the risk. Don't be afraid of being told no, you know, because somebody out there, if you take your time with the book and put your heart and soul into it, somebody's going to see that effort. 
I know you put a lot of your heart and soul into Just in Time for Christmas, so when you finally got that hard copy in and you got to look at it and hold your book for that first time, Carol, what was that like for you? Oh, wow, Corey. It was amazing. Awesome. All the above. You know, it's hard to put in words exactly how honored I felt to literally have the book in my hands. You know, something of me and Covenant Books did a great job on the illustration and helping me through the process. So to actually have something of me in print in my hands, it was just awesome. Have you given thought to maybe writing a follow-up to this or doing more writing in the future? Oh, yes. Yes. I have thoughts on paper. I'm not really sure which direction the story is going to go, but I have thoughts and I have put that on paper and beginning the first of the year, you know, letting the holiday season get behind us. Mm. I'm going to start on the second installment of my writing career, I guess you would (laughs) say, but it will be a book. It will not be written as a screenplay. So that might take a little bit longer, but I'm excited about doing it and encouraged by my publishing assistant from Covenant Books. She's been great and very encouraging. So I'm looking forward to the endeavor. Hmm, that is exciting. Now, when you're writing, do you ever get writer's block or just hit that time whenever you don't know what to write next? And then, Carol, how do you get through that? On the first one, oh, well, the only one, just in time for Christmas, came extremely easy, and I give God the credit for that. The second one, I'm not sure. There may be some writers, but <laughs> so I'm not quite sure how to answer that. <laughs> but just keep going forward and, and trust that it will work out. Mm. You know, get up, have a cup of coffee and whatever, you know, let your mind relax and then go back to it. Mm. I know a lot of people will be blessed by this book. It's titled Just in Time for Christmas. It's written by Carol Williams, and it's published by Covenant Books. Of course, you can grab it up everywhere, like at Amazon and Barnes & Noble, or iTunes and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Carol, it's been wonderful talking with you here tonight. Thank you so much for joining me here on the show. Well, thank you, Corey. It's my pleasure and my honor, and this is the first time for me. So thank you for the experience. A new book just hit stores by author Rick L. Johnson titled, There is a Doorway. I'm really happy that the author, Rick, is right here with me now, and we're going to talk all about it. Rick, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Corey. Thank you for having me. Can you tell me what you've written about in There is a Doorway? Well, let's see. It's a book on Revelation that I was in pursuit of for 50 years of my life, trying to get make continuity and understanding of the Bible and the scriptures. And it seemed the harder I was trying, the more I was chasing my tail until I hit a certain stretch where I decided to really roll my sleeves up and just go in and stop waiting for somebody to to show me. And I, I got into where the Holy Spirit got a hold of me and started revealing the truths like they never were before. And the book just came alive to a point where the zeal it generated, I couldn't contain it. So I had to write the journey in, in the book. What sorts of readers were you writing for here, Rick? Basically, I'm looking for new Christian believers, just Christian curious people, people that are looking for some serious answers to some serious questions, because we do certainly live in serious times. And there was some enlightenment that was revealed that I think would be most helpful to many people. Rick, what was the spark that had made you to decide to sit down and write this book? 
I basically, once the truths and started lining up and stacking up, and I realized there was a certain continuity that had been eluding me completely before to where I only knew enough really to just be dangerous to myself and chase my tail as far as the scriptures go. But it got to the point where constant and daily bathing for two and a half to three years and studying, it just started revealing knowledge and things that had been a mystery for a long time. And I got into the writings of Paul from Romans to Philemon, and the book just came alive. When it comes to writing and publishing, is this your first time in that arena? This certainly is. I had entertained doing it for many years and about three or four other attempts, but this was the one that really moved me to go on. When you got that first physical copy in of There is a Doorway, Rick, what was that moment like for you? Well, I'll tell you, it was a, a beautiful moment for certain to see the result of a long-term effort and endeavor that I knew would be most worthy. But I knew the work wasn't quite done, but I have arrived at the desired juncture that I was looking for. Do you think we can expect more from you in the future? I do believe there's my interest was in prophecy years ago, and I probably spent a little too much time on that and didn't stay into the more solid meat of the message. But I've corrected that now, and I, I may be able to endeavor a book in one of those directions. Yeah, just the same. I, I believe there's enough uh, wealth of material there for me to do it. What advice would you give the aspiring authors, Rick, who are listening to us right now? Well, just basically that they shouldn't enter into it lightly. It's certainly no light matter. And it will take several year-long effort and total commitment. And it can get quite grueling at times. But if you believe in your cause, persevere. When you hit those tough times in your writing, the challenges, maybe the writer's block, how do you get past those things? I was, Corey, I was led by the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, I don't want that to sound corny, but I was led and I had a direction and a purpose. And there was never any gaps for where he wanted me to go. For you, Rick, what's the most rewarding aspect of now being a published author? Being able to have an opportunity to share and spotlight the truth of God's words about the grace of Jesus Christ. Obviously, your relationship with the Lord is what inspires and motivates you in your life, Rick. But do you have people who also inspire and motivate you as well? Oh, certainly. My daughter is very active in the church. Calvary Baptist here in Delaware, and we do a lot of fellowshipping and, and study together, and I go and join in on some of their events that they have. I have become ordained as of this year and am looking to launch the ministry, the Ricardo da Vinci Grace Ministry, off of the, any proceeds that this book might generate. Well, I think readers will be blessed with this book. It's called There is a Doorway. It's written by Rick L. Johnson, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can get it anywhere, like at Amazon or Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Rick, thank you again for joining me here at the show and telling me all about There is a Doorway. I had a really nice time chatting. Hope we can do it again sometime. Thank you so much, Corey. I hope we do, too. I look forward to it. God bless. This book says it will capture your mind as it subdues your imagination. It's called Timeless Beings, and it's written by Andrew J. Miller. I'm talking with Andrew right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Pastor Drew, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Well, it's great to have you here. Can you tell me what readers are in store for with Timeless Beings? They're in store for a lot. They're in store for a new experience in how they understand God's Word and the more complex issues that people come up with. Hmm. And what sorts of readers were you speaking to here? 
the book speaks to individuals who are just coming into their relationship with God, as well as people who have been in a relationship with God for quite some time. It kind of runs the gamut of people who just really want to get a deeper understanding and find a new source of strength when it comes to studying God's Word. And where did the idea or the inspiration for this come from? What made you to decide, i got to write this book? Well, because I, I ran into a lot of people who would ask me questions about subjects like the gap theory or where was Jesus born? How did he live through his early years? And just kind of things like that. Now, the Bible covers where Jesus is born, and it actually covers where he was at for his early years. But in order to actually understand those things, a lot of times you literally have to read God's word and, and understand the essence of it. And so, like, when we talk about Jesus's birthplace, we know that where he was born at, and we know he was born in Bethlehem, and then we know that he lived in Nazareth. But what they don't realize a lot of times is that he spent some of his earlier years in Egypt, for instance. People don't really get that because they read over that part. And then they don't realize that he was back in his hometown by the time he had to go for a census. And then when they would have their yearly or travel off to meetings, he was about 12 years old at that time. And so we really can kind of chart from the time Jesus was born all the way up until he actually got into ministry if we just read the Word of God. I mean, and it's right there. And then the gap theory is something that people a lot of times wonder about. They wonder, well, was it a literal seven days of creation or was there a thousand years in each day or, 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 or many years in each day because of what the Bible talks about? We're just not sure, but that's not true. It was a literal seven days of creation and God rested on that seventh day as we know. But I kind of talk about in the book how a person could look at the gap theory and understand it in accordance with the Bible. And so I kind of give both sides of that. But that, those aren't the only two topics. There are a lot of topics that people have had problems understanding with God's Word, and we just kind of tackle those topics head on. Pastor Drew, so many books about theology tend to be a little difficult. People get turned off by the academic nature of them a lot of times. How easy is this one to read? Oh, this is really, really easy to read. In fact, we wrote it at a sixth grade level for that reason. We use the complex issues but we broke it down to where if a person can read at a sixth grade level, they would definitely be able to understand the concepts of the book. When you wrote this and we're going through the publishing process, was that a long process for you? So funny enough, the writing part happened over a span of a few years because, you know, at times I would be researching a subject, but the publishing part only took about a year. Once we got that into place, it took about 10 months to a year and it was out and ready to go. After all that time and work that you put into it, what was it like when you finally got the first hard copy in and you got to hold this thing for the first time? Oh, I was so excited. I was so excited just to know that people would be able to grasp God's Word at their level with their level of understanding. What are the chances we'll see more? Maybe a follow-up to this or more writing in the future? So I have another book out already. It's called Sin Desires You. And so my thoughts of writing is just continue. I'll definitely be writing more books and a continuation of this one, probably not, only because this book kind of, it encapsulates all that's needed for what it set out to do. I also put in there a way for people to contact me. And so like literally if a person had any follow-up questions, they could contact me directly. Hmm. I know a lot of readers are going to be blessed by this book, and I encourage my listeners to check it out. The title is Timeless Beings. It's written by Andrew J. Miller. It's published by Covenant Books. Of course, you can grab it anywhere, like at Amazon or at Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. 
Well, Pastor Drew, thank you again for joining me here tonight and telling me about your work. I had a nice time talking with you. Thank you, sir. I had a nice time talking to you as well. Beautifully Broken is the new book. It's out in stores right now, written by Ann Michael. I'm really happy that Ann is sitting right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable, and we get to chat all about it. Ann, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'd really love to hear about Beautifully Broken. What can readers expect? Beautifully Broken is kind of a survival story, if you will. I lost my husband to suicide. and oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. I searched everywhere for something Christian-based to help me with the suicide part of my grieving. And it, I really couldn't find anything that was answering the questions that I wanted answered. So I ended up writing it. It actually is a story of my journey from the day that my husband died. Certainly, there's no 100% healing with a suicide, Mm. but to the point that I could actually say that life is going to go on and that I could understand it a little bit better and I could find some forgiveness in the entire process. Mm. Now, when you're writing something like this, I could imagine it's really tough and might have taken you a long time. Was that the case? It did. It took me about a year from the time I put the first word to paper to when I felt like it was done. I kept feeling like when I read it now, I don't think it's done. I think there's additional chapters that could be written and added to the book because it's an ever-evolving process to survive suicide of a loved one. And so I think that it's going to keep going, but it did take me just about a year to finish the book as it is now. What's your writing background look like? Have you ever done anything like this before? I have never done anything like this before. I actually have a degree in journalism and communication, but I've never used it professionally. I have written children's stories for my grandchildren, but they're the only ones that have eyes on it. I've never published anything other than like news articles and so forth when I was in college, but nothing like this at all. What was it like when you got that first hard copy in of Beautifully Broken? You got to hold it, look at it for the first time. Must have been special. It was extremely special. It was surreal. I cried a lot. It was even more than holding the book for the first time was when I read it in its completed version. It was an unbelievable experience to read it in my own words and my journey on paper. It was an amazing feeling to read that. Mm. So you said that there might be more to tell about this story. Were you thinking of maybe in the future doing an updated edition or maybe writing another book altogether? I'm actually working on a novel. Hmm. Beautifully Broken is not written in novel form. It's, I don't like to call it a self-help book. I like to think that there's hope in the pages hmm. of Beautifully Broken. I feel like when you lose someone anyway... There's darkness. And with suicide, I think there's so many missing pieces. You'll never actually have what they call closure. There's a chapter in the book actually titled The Unclosure, because I don't think there's such a thing. But I think that on the pages of Beautifully Broken, there's a lot of hope. And my book that I'm working on now is a novel, and it's a fictionalized interpretation of real-life events. It is actually Anne Michael's life story. Because what they read in what my readers are getting from Beautifully Broken is just that one chapter of my life. And there's so much more. And I've had a lot of people want to get to know Anne Michael a little bit more after reading Beautifully Broken. So that's what I'm doing. Hmm. 
A lot of people listening to us right now, Anne, are people, authors who are just getting started. Do you have any advice that you could offer them? Don't give up. Everybody's got a story. If you want to put your story to paper, write it with your heart and don't give up. Just believe in yourself because I honestly would have never believed that I would be able to do something like this. There's a very, very real part of me that is sad that it took the death of my husband for me to do it. But I believe as a Christian that God has taken this horrible experience in my family's life and turned it into something that can help others. Mm-hmm. I believe that that's what we're supposed to do. I believe that's what Beautifully Broken represents. Well, Anne, I know you're helping so many people with your story in this book. It's titled Beautifully Broken. It's written by Anne Michael and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find it everywhere, of course, like at Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes in traditional brick-and-mortar stores. And thank you again for joining me tonight and telling me all about Beautifully Broken and your story. I hope we get to talk again sometime. I hope so, too. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Sitting down with me here now at the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Art Still. Art, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. You have a new book out in stores right now. It's called Poison Ivy. So, Art, what's this one all about? Well, this is about growing up in America in the late 60s, early 70s, and all the challenges that a lot of people, especially people my age, especially males my age, were faced with and the decisions they made and how it affected them. Hmm. What sorts of readers do you think would be really into your story? Well, I believe that anybody who's ever been in the military or has had a family member that was in the military, hmm. and of course, people who have Vietnam veterans for their father or their brother or whatever, they'd be, I think, particularly interested in it. But I think it, in general, most people would be if they've got any idea of the military and what it does for everybody. And I'm curious about the title of the book, Poison Ivy. How did you come about that? Well... Poison Ivy was a very popular song back in 1959. It was by the Coasters, and the wording in there, the the name of the song was Poison Ivy, and when I was in basic training and advanced training, the Army, what they did, they would take the popular songs of the day, and they would change the words to meet as long as it fit the cadence that they wanted us to, you know, produce at, whether we were running or exercising, whatever. Hmm. So it just seemed like an appropriate title, especially since I wound up being assigned to the 4th Infantry Division, which was also known as the Ivy Division. And some people, or a lot of people, refer to it as the Poison Ivy Division. Hmm. How did you get the idea to write this? What made you decide to write your story and then publish it? Well, to write the story, I had been dealing with lots of mental problems, let's say, trouble sleeping and all this other stuff that I thought I was just dealing with. But I found out after about 45 years that it was due to my experiences, especially in Vietnam, but in life in general. So anyway, I was referred to the local VA hospital. I was living in Reno, Nevada at the time. And he suggested that I go down there since I was a Vietnam veteran because they were starting to treat us a little bit better than they had for the last 45 years. Went down there, saw a doctor. The first time I saw the doctor, she said, I'm referring you to mental health. And I said, why? I'm not, you know, crazy or anything like that. She said, because you exhibit all kinds of signs of PTSD and I think you need help. Mm. 
So long story short, I went through extensive counseling at the VA, and one of the psychologists that I had one-on-one counseling with, she always told me that the only way you're going to put, you know, your feelings and everything behind you is you've got to write about it and, you know, get all the feelings out, put them out in the open so people can read them or see them at least. So she assigned me that once a week, she would tell me, okay, I want you to pick out one incident when you were over in Vietnam and you write me a, you know, a seven page little story about it. And then we would talk about it and she'd go over every word I wrote and everything. But anyway, after 12 weeks of counseling, she said, I think you're really doing better with your PTSD. She said, I really think you should think about writing a book. Mm-hmm. Even if it never gets published, just write a book just so you know, you know, and if you, your friends ever ask for anything, you know, you can let them read it or nothing or something like that, even if nobody else cares about it. So basically, it was her telling me that you should put this stuff in writing and get it out there. Well, that's fantastic. Did Poison Ivy take you a long time to write? I spent uh, about 10 or 11 months actually writing it. I hmm. took all those things that I had written for the psychologist. I got to keep a copy of what I wrote, although she kept a copy too. So I kept that, and then I sat down about probably five or six days a week for about two hours, and I would just put all the notes in order and get it all out there. So it took me about 10 or 11 months to actually write the book. Hmm. Well, it seems that you found out that writing is, in fact, really good medicine art. So do you plan on writing more and maybe publishing more in the future? I intend to. I'm, I've got two other books that I started on already. One of them I'm really stuck on. The other one I'm in well into chapter two. So uh, they're not going to be anything like this book, but I can write about other stuff. I know a lot of people are really going to be into this book and should check it out. The title is Poison Ivy. It's written by Art Still, and it's published by Fulton Books. You can grab this one up everywhere, of course, like at Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and iTunes and Google Play and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Art, thank you again for joining me here tonight and telling me all about your work. I had a fantastic time talking with you. Thank you. I enjoyed it, too. The book I have with me here now is all about overcoming fear. It's titled Fearful Fanny, The Reality of the Fearful Becoming Fearless. It's written by Hope Baldwin, and Hope is right here with me now. We're going to chat all about it. Hope, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Corey. Really glad to be talking with you today. Can you tell me all about what readers can expect in Fearful Fanny? It's about a young girl evolving from a fearful mindset, reality, into a very fearless one. What sorts of readers did you have in mind for Fearful Fanny, Hope? Well, although it's a children's book, I'm sure other age groups can have some good takeaways from it. I mean, we all need to overcome our fears in life. Mm. Have you ever written or published a book before this, Hope? Yes, I've written a book of several short stories regarding COVID, about how we all experienced similar situations during the pandemic or knew someone who experienced a similar situation. We was all going through similar situations and we was all in it together. Hope, can you think back to when you got the inspiration where the spark hit you to write this book and then go get it published? Well, like many people, I was a fearful young lady and I overcame some of my fears. It just kind of came to me, you know, like with everything that I write, you know, I get a thought and I just process it into a book. I thought if I can write the book and help at least one child, it's worth writing. Did Fearful Fanny take you a long time to write and publish? The public process, no. The writing, you know, it was amid COVID, so I was kind of like every day adding a little bit to it. It was like, I was saying less than a year. It took me less than a year. 
What was it like after all that time you spent working on this to finally get that first copy, the hard copy of Fearful Fanny in? What was that like? Oh, it was so surreal. I mean, I have other publications that I wanted, other creations that I want to get published. And I was glad I chose to publish that one at the time. Hope, do you have any advice for the aspiring authors who are listening to us now? Just do it. My advice is consistent. Just do it. Put it out there. See what people like and experience what not to do next time. Well, writing a book is one thing, but then publishing it is a whole other thing. Hope, what did you find the most challenging about the publishing end of things? Fulton Books is awesome. They was very patient with me because they knew I was a new artist. They was right there for me every step of the way. I'm trying to work and look over everything was really my challenge because I get home from work, I'm exhausted. Then I had to look over the things to give them the okay to go forward with the next phase of the book process, the publication process. So it really was on my end because I was trying to work and write at the same time. And I had recently retired and I went back to work. So my body had to catch up with what I wanted to do. (laughs) (laughs) So as far as the publication process, it was awesome. It was awesome. There wasn't no problems with the publication process. Do you think you'll be writing and publishing more in the future? Yes, always. I'm always thinking. I'm always, I have millions of books in my head. (laughs) I have a couple of written down that I didn't even publish yet. So yes, next year, another book may be coming out. When you go to write, Hope, are you the kind of author who outlines everything, you know, the beginning, middle, and end, how everything's going to go? Or do you start with an idea and just discover where it goes from there? I never know the ending. I mean, sometimes I have to tell myself, you have to stop the book. The book can't go on forever. (laughs) (laughs) So I get the thought and, you know, as I go along, you know, I'm just processing a lot of things. And then I look down and see how many pages I've written. And I'm like, okay, you just have to stop the book. (laughs) And with one book, I stopped. And then I wrote a part two because it's like I just couldn't let that. (laughs) I couldn't let it go. But I love writing. I love writing. You know, I can write all day. Have you ever gotten writer's block? Never. (laughs) I don't understand what that means yet. I hope I never do. Because I hear people say, you know, on television, you know how they get a writer's block and they try to do all these different things. The thoughts just keep coming to me. God is good. God is good. I know readers are going to love this book. It's titled Fearful Fanny, The Reality of the Fearful Becoming Fearless. It's written by Hope Baldwin, and it's published by Fulton Books. You can find it everywhere, of course, like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Hope, thank you again for joining me and telling me all about your work. I had a nice time chatting with you tonight. I did, too. Thank you for having me. Enjoy your evening. This is a fascinating novel. It's a story of a priest that takes readers through Rome, Florence, Venice, and elsewhere. The title is Deer in the Fields of Venice, a novel. It's written by D.M. Zoltowski, and D.M. is right here with me now. We're going to chat all about it. D.M., welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me tonight. Thank you, Corey. Thank you so much. I'm very excited. I'm excited to talk about this novel. Can you tell me what's going on in it? Well, like you just said, it's a story of a priest who gets the opportunity from one of his former students and his father to do a trip, a bus tour through Italy, going with Rome, Florence, and Venice. Starts off really where his student Cam shares a very intimate, deep secret with 
father, Maurice, and this really sparks off their relationship being deeper than student teacher and it's turning more into like a spiritual friend really mm. and this ticket comes into his hands because jim cam's father while his wife had just left him calls him from california and lets him know she's not coming home so this ticket falls in his hands and he's thinking what to do with it and he notices the connection this trust that cam has with father maurice so he offers this opportunity and when Maurice gets there, what happens is he starts seeing this country in a much different light. His whole life was based on books and travel really was not in the equation. He saw travel as something to be kept in the books, he never really stepped out of his comfort zone. So being there and seeing it is changing a lot in him. And he meets so many other people. One is a woman, Isabel, who's on the trip. She has a lot of baggage that she's also carrying. And what happens is this friendship is causing him to like see things a little differently. He's seeing things in a different light, and he starts seeing himself. And there's actually a statement that the Monsignor says to Maurice about this trip. And he says, that is why our Lord chose Italy for the center of our faith. Anywhere else, and we would die off from boredom. And it's so true. You know, there's so much going on over there. And, you know, we can't be bored. And he's learning that God is not finished with him yet. I understand that your novel is to Anne. Can you talk about that? Yes. Okay. So Anne is actually Anne Frank. Hmm. I have a deep devotion to her, starting with when I read her diary and had the opportunity actually recently to go visit her house in Amsterdam. Hmm. And I have such a great admiration, but, you know, even sort of like spiritual friendship with her. And, you know, the things that she wrote in particular, talking about how there's someone out there who will be able to read her words. And, you know, and I, I see that so much in my own work because, you know, I write for other people. I don't write to keep it under a shelf. You know, I want other people to read it when it was published and I first had it in my hands. That was great, but it didn't really hit me until I held someone else's copy. And then I realized, oh my gosh, this is real. You know, it, it just, it, now someone else is reading what I wrote. So I have like a, just a deep admiration where, you know, she did not expect what would happen with her work. And it's just touched so many lives and it's touched mine. So I dedicated it to her because of the inspiration that was there while I was writing it. Have you thought about a follow-up to this maybe or another kind of book in the future? Not a follow-up to this one. I think as you'll see at the end of it, you'll see that I, the story is over. Hmm. So that's a very nice surprise ending I have in store for three years. But I am actually working on a couple pieces now. I am also a, uh, an artist. I work with Fountain Pennings, and hmm. I'm working on a series of monks, actually, and telling and stories about them. You know, just a story of a fictional story of a monastery and telling those stories. I also am working on a new novel. This one is moving a little bit differently, moving more into the realm of a serial killer. So I'm starting that, and I'm very excited to get that rolling and very excited to see where I can take that. Mm. I know a lot of readers are going to be into this book and should check it out. The title is Deer in the Fields of Venice, a novel. This is written by D.M. Zoltowski, and it's published by Newman Springs Publishing. You can find this one everywhere, like on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores.
DM, it's been wonderful having you on the show here and talking all about your work. I hope we can chat again sometime soon. I hope so too, Corey. Thank you so much. It's been an honor. Sitting down right next to me here at the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Joel Carver. Joel, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here with me tonight. Thank you, Corey. Appreciate the opportunity. I appreciate your time. You have a new book out in stores. It's so exciting. The title is The Adventures of Grandpa's Dentures, Ivory Goes Camping. Now, Joel, you got to tell me about this. I love this title. Well, this is this is a long time coming book for me. Corey, it's it's actually from true stories of when my grandfather and I were we would go on trips many times and accompanied by my grandmother and they're true stories. Hmm. What I've done is I've kind of put them in a story form and illustrated them. My father-in-law had illustrated the first book here, but they're very funny experiences that my grandfather had with his dentures. He had a love for his dentures, of course, I'm sure like most <laughs> grandparents do. They would get lost in the funniest places, and we just had a great time as his grandson and uh, I'm sure the other grandkids, too, experiencing those uh, those funny events. Mm. So what was your inspiration to write this? What gave you the idea to write this story and publish it? Well, it's, uh, it's like I said, it's been a long time coming. I had written some of these down, and I wanted to share these funny stories of my grandfather, who I loved dearly. He actually helped raise me when I was just a little guy. Hmm. And later in my high school and college years, I ended up back up living with my grandparents again. And they would travel with me. And the inspiration came from, you know, just these actual events, big restaurants, you might say, and we would be eating. And my grandfather always would have a tendency to, you know, want to clean them off. And he'd put them in a glass on the restaurant <laughs> table. And then we'd walk off and leave them, right? <laughs> and then the the waitress would be chasing us down in the parking lot <laughs> with his glass filled uh, with dentures, you know. So <laughs> uh, it was uh, things like that. And I'm sure that many, many grandparents have had and grandchildren have had experiences with their loved ones' dentures. And so these stories that I wanted to share with my kids of my grandfather, and they actually, many of my kids knew my grandfather and my great-grandparents. I just wanted to leave something with my kids, uh, the fun that I had with my grandparents. Hmm. But along the way, there were so many other lessons that I learned, you know, that uh, life doesn't have to be stressful. Hmm. <laughs> you know? Look for the, for the things that are humorous and some of the tough times even that you might have in, in, in your life and uh, look back on those funny experiences. I'm actually going to be following up this one with probably another three books oh, wow. that have these true stories in a fictional type setting. So actually my grandfather, my grandpa, Colin, has these uh, dentures that have had all these experiences, and we, of course, have given him, given it life. This, these dentures have a name. It's called Ivory. They, they call him Ivory, of course, right? <laughs> <laughs> so Ivory takes on his own little character. It's uh, just really a fun, fun book to read, but it also has some really good meaning and lessons to be learned of, you know, how to, you know, even, even during a tough time, like he gets lost. And, you know, how many times we get kind of got some trials that we have to overcome, but he just makes the best out of it. And he just goes on smiling and has a great time <laughs> until grandpa comes back and finds him. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah, Joel, I'm one of those people that can definitely identify with stories like this because 
Some of my fondest and most terrifying times with my grandfather were those times I was sitting on his lap and he would turn and look at me and pop those dentures out. It was like none other. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, I think that a lot of families and a lot of children, grandchildren, a lot of people, those that with dentures and those without, you know, can relate like yourself. You've had those experiences and you look back on with them either on a scary moment because, you, you know, <laughs> I think that part of their teeth should be glued in there and not be coming out. But <laughs> I have one, probably my, my next book that I'm going to be writing. It's a children's book, too, along the same lines. Ivory goes flying. So Ivory has a lot of experiences. Wow, sure sounds like it. But, you know, they're, sometimes they're pretty tough. But <laughs> Grandpa always ends up finding him, and Ivory is really happy that he's been found. Mm. And I encourage my listeners to check out this book. The title is The Adventures of Grandpa's Dentures. Ivory Goes Camping. This is written by Joel Carver, and it's published by Fulton Books. Of course, you can find it anywhere, like at Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Joel, thank you again for joining me here at the show tonight. I had a nice time chatting with you. This is great, Corey. Thank you so much. Appreciate all you do. Hyper-Religiosity to Grace it's the new book. It's in stores right now. It's written by Thomas Ryland. And Thomas is joining me right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable, and we get to talk all about it. Thomas, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Glad to be here. I'm glad to be talking with you here tonight. Can you tell me all about what readers can expect in Hyper-Religiosity to Grace? Absolutely. It's a 10-year journey through a mental condition I had while I was a believer, but also struggling at the same time. And hyper-religiosity is kind of a broad term. It can include many different things, but in my world, it meant not understanding the voice of the Lord correctly and having these grandiose thoughts of what God wanted me to do and not do and putting a lot of pressure on myself, mm. unnecessary pressure. And so it kind of just catalogs that whole journey. And it's very intense. My career comes to an end. I end up in a mental institution for a brief period, but ultimately God brings me out of all that. He shows me his love and his grace. He shows me where I had had a lot of misunderstandings. And so ultimately it's a story of hope. Wow. What a story, Thomas. What inspired you to write this and release it to the world? To be honest, when I had first started to write, I was going to write a fiction with part of my life in it because I knew I'd been through some things that were pretty intense. And I started writing it, and as I was going through it, probably about 60% of the way, I realized I'm not getting off of my character, and not, and it's basically sticking to the script of my life. So at about the second half of the book, I decided I'm going to go ahead and make this about my situation. You know, because it was hyper-religiosity, because I was a believer, I did not want to not give God the glory for ultimately bringing me out of that. Instead of going with a fiction, I just stuck with the script and ultimately talked about the goodness of God. Mm. Thomas, what kind of readers do you think would get the most out of your story? I would say pretty much it's an interesting story for multiple reasons. The story will make you laugh at some points. There's some areas that are very sad. I believe it's also encouraging because it's a story of never giving up. Mm -hmm. And I would say a broad variety of readers. There's a couple areas in that book where it's, you know, they're more mature concepts, but they're presented in a Christian way. Mm -hmm. What does your writing background look like, Thomas? Have you ever taken anything on like this before? This is my first book. You know, I went to college and I've always done well in school growing up. 
you know, math is my strong suit, but I was also a good writer on technical things. And I just started writing my story and thought this is worth giving a shot. What was it like when you got that first hard copy in and you got to hold it in your hands and look at it for the first time? It's very rewarding to see that come to pass. And, you know, there's so many people that have a story. You know, everybody I run into, they have a story. And it's rewarding to know that something gets passed on from here, you know, in my life that maybe somebody could pick up somewhere else and get something from it. Hmm. Do you have plans to maybe do more writing and publishing in the future, Thomas? Funny enough, I just finished up a manuscript. It's more about the lessons of life and the takeaway and kind of the things that I would have told myself 15 years ago, things that the Lord has kind of helped me grow and learn and how to avoid pitfalls and how to just win in Christ. Mm. That's going to be coming out. It's going to be basically a book about concepts in Christ that, that would have been valuable to me 15 years ago. Thomas, this was your first book, so I'm sure you learned an awful lot along the way of doing this. Do you have any words of advice that you could offer to the aspiring authors listening to us? Absolutely. I would say that every person has a story to tell. And if you don't, you haven't written much, just start small, you know, maybe in a journal and you have something to tell the world. So just start small and go from there. What happens when the writing gets challenging for you, Thomas? Maybe you hit writer's block or maybe you hit a point where you don't know what to write next. How do you get through stuff like that? Well, I kind of, I guess it's because of my engineering mind. I pretty much plan out a lot of things in advance. I almost never sit down not knowing what I'm going to talk about next. Mm. So like throughout the week, I'm already thinking about what the next chapter is going to be. And then I just do that. And then I, after that chapter, I stop and then I think about the next one. So I kind of pre-plan everything. I mean, other writers do it different, but that's my strategy. I think a lot of readers will be blessed by this book. The name is Hyper-Religiosity to Grace. It's written by Thomas Ryland, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can get it everywhere, like at Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Thomas, it's been wonderful chatting with you here tonight on the show. Thank you again for joining me. Thank you, Corey. Have a good day. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first. 